This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Thank you. Let's give our worship team a round of applause this morning, shall we? They got me flustered. I, I don't get flustered easy, but let me tell you, I'm like going, oh, Lord, my mind is just racing of, of uh, the many years, the fun, the good moments, the really, really good moments, the moments that have been hard in the middle of all of it. But can I tell you, it's been worth every single moment of it. Thank you so much for honoring us. Thank you so much for, uh, wow, I, again, I'm just, uh, I see pictures and my heart is connected to you. My life is connected to you, memories and moments of baptisms and, and connections uh, that as I look around this room and see faces that, that we've walked with for many years. And so thank you so much. Um, thank you guys so much for, for putting this together. One last, last Sunday, well, I shouldn't say last Sunday because you can continue to give in, to this if you want, but one last Sunday of appeal is our giving opportunity for our South Campus speakers. We're right around $2,200 and we need about 6000 So if you have not given or you're waiting to give because you want to give the final $3,800, we're going to be, we, we will take through your final $3,800 to finish this up. And uh, we really appreciate it. We would love to be able to uh, step, we, we, we're endeavoring with all of our being to walk out faithfully to a budget in 2023. Uh, many people don't understand what COVID did to churches but also impacted us. And so income and spending and expenses, and just like expenses have gone up in your home, expenses have gone up in the church. And we're endeavoring with all of our being to, 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 to be good stewards of. And so we're, we're, we're asking, once again, we don't want to go into debt. We don't want to pull money from savings to, to fix these speakers. We would, we're believing that the, that the money's here in the building as well. And so we're asking you, and thank you, Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for all you that have already given. Thank you for the, all of you that continue to give month after month after month after month. And uh, we, we appreciate you. We're, we're in light, love where you live. Everyone say love where you live. Love where you live. Uh, do you love where you live? Do you love, do you, do, you, do you love the neighborhood that you're in? Do you love the city that you're in? Uh, again, as we talked last week, we talked about the reason oftentimes we love where we live is because we love who we live with, I hope. Uh, or that you love the people of the community that you're in. You love something about it. And it's not, just an, it's not just a location. It's not just a place. It is a people. It's a people that is there that God has somehow connected your heart to them. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we've been looking at over and over and over again, is, uh, but, if, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that comes back to this whole aspect of, of an extension of the Great Commission to go, God, I, God's not just saying, I want you to go to, to the ends of the earth. I want you to take care of where you're at. I want you to be faithful where you're at. Many times we can platform and exalt, and we do exalt missionaries. We exalt that they are willing to leave everything. But can I tell you today that you are a missionary where you're at? Where you are at today, you are a missionary. So we are walking through this, this process of four different phases, the personal transformation phase, that God prepares us to be a missionary. God has prepared us. He's working in us to do something. And your first calling as a, as a, as a, as a mission, mission carrier of God is to your family. 
You know, we can, we can do a lot of things to the ends of the earth, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. But your family is the most important thing that you can impact. Phase three is the circle transformation that out of your family, out of, out of this personal impact and out of your family impact, you're going to carry that into your circles of, of work and, and friends and all of those areas. And then eventually we're going to get to where the city is transformed or a state is transformed or where our nation is transformed. We've been in phase number two of our home transformation for the last two, three, this is our third week. When we think about me uh, being transformed, how, that, how me impacts my, the importance of, of you being touched and transformed and changed so that you can impact your family and your wife and your children and your homes. The per, God's, God's got a chain of process that is there. And we've asked this question is, what would happen if you loved your home? Everyone comes back and goes, well, no, I love, I love where I live. I love my house. I'm not talking about your house. Now, we need to be thankful for our houses. But I'm not talking about your home. I'm talking about the people that are in your home. I'm talking about not, ju- not the building. I'm talking about who it is that God has placed there. I Growing up, my mom would always say in the middle of sibling arguments, how, how many ever had sibling arguments? Uh, you know, I mean, in the middle of sibling arguments, my mom would come back and she'd always go, kids, family matters. You only have one of them. And you're going, thank God I only have one of them. <laughs> right? I could not survive if I had more than one. But that concept that family matters, our families of origin shape us. They prepare us. They orient us towards what our life is going to look like. And whether we like it or not, our family origin has had a positive impact on our lives, but it also has had a negative impact on our lives. It doesn't matter who you are with the best of intentions. Everyone is going to have and make mistakes. There's not a parent on the planet that is perfect. There's not a child on the planet that is perfect There's not a circumstance, a home life that is perfect. But I can look back at my life and I can see people that impacted my life within my home. I want you to think about your home life growing up. People that impacted your life in your home. People that had a positive influence and maybe people that were even had a negative influence in your life, this, the, the traits that you're going to carry. And today, I want to focus, we're going to focus not on what the negative things or the bad things that have happened to you, but I want to ask the question, who's been famous in your life? Hopefully everyone answers, first of all, that it's Jesus. But who in your family has been famous in your life? Who in your family has impacted you as an individual? I can go back years and I can say, my grandma uh, was famous in my life. My grandma still is famous in my life, even though she's gone over to the other side. I can go back to the heritage that she left. I can go back to my mom and, and the heritage that she imparted into us. She was famous in my life. I remember my brother Greg uh, was fa- uh, is famous in my life. I remember when vulnerable moments when he was a person of encouragement and, and brought renewal to what manhood was because we had such a dysfunctional home. I fast forward to marriage, and my wife is famous in my life. She's made a massive impact. We've done ministry together. We've loved ministry together. We've raised children together. She's been famous in my life. And can I tell you what's so awesome is my kids are famous in my life. My kids are famous in my life. 
They've touched me. They've impacted me. And I ask you today, who is it that's impacted your life? Who is it that would be famous in your story? Who would be famous in your story? And maybe you come back and you know, Pastor Kevin, I don't have anybody in my family. I came from such darkness. And I want to come back and go by a surrogate. So in, in this aspect, let's go to a surrogacy and go, who outside of your family has impacted you? Who has shaped you? Can I tell you that all of those have been Father filtered, that God has given those opportunities. He's placed those people in your life for a reason and for a purpose. This word famous I want to talk about today, famous, being widely known, recognized for notable achievements, someone who's celebrated, someone who we can step back and we can look and we can recognize and go, I want to celebrate them. They may not be widely known in the world, but they're widely known in my life. You would not be who you are without them. The poet Emily Dickinson called fame a fickle food upon a shifting plate. But far from a harmless meal, she went on to say that men eat of it and die. When we talk about fame, when we talk about this idea of fame and the pursuit of fame, we hunger for status. The status we witness accorded to the famous, the status we can now approximate with a multitude of services and apps But fame, that pinnacle of human worth, isn't real at all. Psychology Today is writing this. It says it's it's something we made up in society in order to ensure there was some position that held the ultimate worth. A position that any one of us could actually someday, some way, maybe achieve fame. We made up fame, and in doing that, we supplanted the real worth that each of us hold as individuals. In fact, we supplant individualism itself when we endeavor to seek fame above all else, when we pine for it and we resent it being bestowed upon others, pursue, or because to pursue fame above all else means to deny our own individuality, perhaps to reject your own basket of skills and talents in favor of whatever you think would be most popular with others. This idea of fame in our culture today, people are clamoring for fame and popularity, There are some who will do anything to achieve fame. In in 2022, reports revealed that rather than a career, when I was growing up, a career of being a fireman or an electrician or veterinarian, the desire of those between 18 and 26 this result, uh, have resulted in that their achievements, that their desire is to become famous on YouTube and TikTok. An aspiration. Why? Because there's money that is there. There's a fame that comes alongside this concept of being famous. Of course, fame, just like wealth, is entirely relative. Being widely known can mean lots of different things. After all, in a world famous, there's world famous, there's internet famous, there's those who are barely famous. Anybody here who are barely famous? There's Hollywood who has an A-list for movies, a B-list for movies, a C-list for movies, and a D-list for movies. Who is that? There are people who are famous in your industry, famous in your town, or famous in your church. One time, I, was, I think of a time, I was, I was introduced to a man that says, he's famous for his barbecue grilling, and I'm going, like, famous in your home? Fame clearly defines different things to different people. 
And I come back and go, fame, fame. Today, I would like to suggest that we all aim for fame. We all shoot for the stars when we think of fame. Not fame for the wrong reasons, but fame for the right reasons. Today, my sermon in a sentence is this. When our lives are over, we will be remembered for something. So make it something worth being famous for. When our lives are over, we will be remembered for something. So make it something worth being famous for. Today, the title of my message is Be Famous to Your Family. Be famous to your family. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26, I'm going to come about the concept of this in a little bit of an unconventional way, but I want you to follow along with me. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? God, today I pray over the power of your word. God, it is so real and so good. God, that as it goes forth today, as I just have even read these verses, may it penetrate hearts, and lives. May the truth and reality settle in each of our lives today. And God, I pray for your anointing upon my words, God, that they would bring clarity and they would be spoken with, with clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple, I think about this and we think about the idea of fame, the moment that we step into the idea of understanding Christ and accepting Jesus into our hearts and our lives, can I propose to you today that we, you and I, become famous in heaven? Because it says just one, the least one of those individuals, there's a celebration that everybody knows who we are. There's a fame that comes along with knowing Christ. There's a fame of understanding and knowing and being remembered for something. But Jesus is coming here and says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? I think about this concept, and Jesus is coming with a warning question. He's coming with a reality question to go, you can profess Christ with all that you are, but if you pursue the wrong things, you're pursuing the wrong things. You're not going to be famous where you need to be famous for and famous in. Jesus presented to his disciples two approaches to fame. I want you to see this this morning. One approach was to deny yourself. The other approach was to live for yourself. One approach was to take up your cross the other approach was to ignore the cross. One was, approach was to follow Christ, and the other approach was to follow the world. One approach was to lose your life for his sake, and the other approach was to save your life for your own sake. One approach was to forsake the world, and the other approach was to gain the world. One approach was to keep your soul, and one was to lose your soul. One was to share in his reward, and one was to lose your reward. 
As you look at this chart and you look at this evaluation in your life, you have to come back and go, how am I living? Which fame am I pursuing? Are you pursuing the fame of this world or the fame of the other world? Are you living for your life today that you will lose your soul? Are you living for the life tomorrow that you will gain your soul? And can I tell you today that we are all confronted with this moment by moment in our life, and whether we realize it or not, it should consume our thinking. It should consume our thoughts. It should consume how you and I walk out our faith for Jesus Christ. Not only how you and I walk out our faith for Jesus Christ, but how you and I live our faith in front of our families for Jesus Christ. A personal story. I was a young dad with children, and I would be classified as Mr. Mom. We have some individuals in our church who are Mr. Moms. They're the ones that stay home, and they work with their kids, or they take their kids with them to work. And I was one of those that was fortunate enough that I was allowed to take my kids with me to work. I was working at then Calvary Temple, the South Campus. And I can tell you that in those moments, it was, we were desperate. Rhonda worked to support our habit, support our habit of ministry. We were desperate for insurance. We were desperate for food. We needed clothes, all those things. And a ministry income did not cover those things for us. There were things that we could not afford. There were things that we did without. And in the process of doing without, not that that's bad, but in the, we got things out of whack and we ended up charging and living in a lifestyle that was not a healthy lifestyle. We realized that the only way that we could provide for our children and have a home of happiness was for Rhonda to go step out and work. And Rhonda was called into full-time ministry just like I was. So just like I sacrificed to be Mr. Mom, she sacrificed to be the provider of our home. She went and she began to work and do what she needed to do. And I re remember that I loved my children and I was honored to have children, but I didn't Love the idea of having children 24 hours a day. I have great compassion on mothers. I understand a little bit of what you are going through. But I remember taking my kids to, to drop in Sydney off at kindergarten, first grade, and Trenton going to the office with me. And uh, I would get to the church early and no one else would be there. And I remember going into South Campus, if you're familiar with the campus, and I'd come to this side of the stage and we had oak, oak uh, altars at the altar and it would be my moment that Trenton would have his toys and cars and be driving as a two-year-old, three-year-old around the, the, the sanctuary and I'd be trying to say, God, I need you in my life. Please rescue me. No, uh, but it, <laughs> trying to connect with God, trying to say, God, and I can tell you at a, at a very particular moment, can I tell you that this passage of Scripture means so much to me? Because I remember going through this process of going, God, I want, as, as a young pastor, I had aspiring dreams. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be known. I wanted to impact the country for God. I wanted to preach to thousands. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted whether it was wrong motive or right motive, the end goal was I wanted to build the kingdom of God. I wanted to touch lives. And I remember there at the altar and struggling with all of this and Trenton in his zoom, zoom, zoom on the altar and he often would crawl on me, you know, so it's like I'm praying and he's like crawling on me and he'd get up on my back and literally he'd just lay on my back. 
And I'd spend time and I'd just begin to pray. And I remember at this moment, particular moment, as I was praying about all my dreams and I was wrestling with my future, knowing that my children were important, but going, God, I'm getting left behind. God, I'm being overlooked. God, what's happening? And the Holy Spirit, not in an audible language, but can I tell you, it was so loud inside of me. And he said, Kevin, if you have the biggest church on the planet but lose your family, what have you gained? Kevin, if you preach to thousands and lose your family, what have you gained? If you do all of these things and lose your marriage and lose your children, what have you gained? And I can tell you from that moment on, I can't say that I did it with, with always joy. I can't say that I did it perfectly, but can I tell you at that moment, my life shifted. It dictated what I did and what I pursued. I gave up opportunities. There were moments that I said no to things that I really wanted to do and I felt like God was opening a door. But I knew that if I said yes to this, I was saying no to my children. If I said yes to this, I was saying no to my family. Every decision has been dictated by the call of God on my life, not just as a call of God to spread the gospel, but a call of God that I am the husband and the father of my children and people there is no one else on this planet that will be Rhonda's husband or my kids' dad. My number one call, your number one call, if you are a parent today, if you are a, a, a husband or a wife, your number one call is to your home. If you think you're going to change the world by dishonoring God's system, you're in trouble. It will never, ever happen. If you gain the whole world but you lose your home, Joshua was confronted with a choice in Joshua chapter 24. The Israelites actually were. And he said, Joshua said, choose you this day. And it went on a little bit further in 24, 24 through 25. And, and, he, and the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Can you remember a moment in your life when you made the declaration, no, we're going to serve the Lord. My family's going to serve the Lord. We're going to honor the Lord. It goes on, it says, and Joshua made a covenant for the people. Let's fast forward to Joshua or Judges chapter 2, verse 10. After the whole generation, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. I want to ask you, what happened between Joshua 24 and Judges chapter 2? It's just a few chapters in the book. Theologians come back and they actually say it, it ranges anywhere from 20 to 40 years. They don't, know, they don't really know. If you're looking at the book of Judges, Judges, they can say that's about 380 years of time. But 20 to 40 years of a generation that was faithful and wanted God and then a generation that never knew God. I want to propose to you today that Rather than you being important in the world and transforming a world, God's going, will you transform your families? Why? Because if you transform your families, your families will transform the world. 
No one wakes up and decides, I'm planning to ruin my marriage today. No one wakes up planning to go, I'm going to neglect my children today. No one wakes up going, I'm going to cause mistrust in my family today. Yet our personal pursuits and our busyness can lead us there. Parents this morning, husbands, wives this morning, hear me today. C.S. Lewis said this, you can aim at heaven and get earth thrown in. If you aim at earth, you get neither. And I want to ask you today, what are you aiming for? Are you living for this life, the 70 years on this planet? You go, well, Pastor Kevin, too much time has passed. No, no. In God, there are always opportunities. Begin today. Begin this moment. When our lives are over, we will, you and I will be remembered for something. What are you going to be remembered for? Make it something worth being famous for. Mark Batterson says this, success is one those who know you best love you most. That's success. I don't care what the world says about fame. I don't care what the world says about success. It's money and things and all that stuff. Can I tell you today, success in God's eyes is that those who know you best love you most. It doesn't mean that they don't see your flaws and your mistakes and your brokenness. It means they love you in spite of them. Today, I want to give you four things on how to be famous to your family. Four things that are so very important. Number one, you need to choose to prioritize. This word prioritize is to designate and to treat as more important than other things. To designate and to treat as more important than other things. Today in our lives, when we step back and we, the generalities of this is that we are called to prioritize God over everything. Matthew chapter 6 says this, but seek first the kingdom of God. But seek first. In the morning, you need to be seeking God first. At night, you need to be seeking God first. Throughout the day, you need to be seeking God first. As you are pursuing a spouse, you need to be seeking God first. As you are deciding to raise children, you need to be seeking God first. You prioritize God over everything. And I would say this, you need to prioritize your family over idolatry. This goes God, and then it goes to family. You prioritize your spouse over your children. Parents, hear me today. You've married for a lifetime. You have children for a season. You married for a lifetime. You have children for a season. And if you do not prioritize correctly, you will lose one or the other. You, can, you can't be respected by everyone. You can't be famous to everyone. Can I tell you today that even on YouTube people and TikTok people and all these people that are fam famous, there are someone on this planet that does not like them and is criticizing them? Everyone's being criticized. You will not be famous to everyone. Can I tell you, your goal, rather than trying to be famous to many, be famous to few. Make an impact on those with your life. Your priorities aren't actually your priorities until you prioritize them. I'm going to say it again. Your priorities are not actually your priorities until you prioritize them. You can say with your words that you prioritize your family, but when you are home, are you disconnected from them? 
Maybe you're in the same room, but are you focusing on other things? Are you watching your favorite TV show? Are you focusing on your phone? Are you playing games? But we're all together. By proximity, yes, you are together. But in relationship, you are not. Can I tell you that your presence is more important than your presence? Being present in the situation is so much more important than giving them something and making a memory. There's so much, such a big difference between prioritizing something and just appreciating something. In our American culture, in Kevin's culture, I can appreciate someone who's physically healthy. But it doesn't mean that I prioritize it in my own life. I can appreciate the fact that someone, I, I can appreciate the fact, the, the uh, I can appreciate the fact that someone has a good relationship, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I put it in my life. If you want to see what you prioritize, you look at your calendar, you look at your checkbook, you look at all the things that you spend your money on. What do, you, what do I really prioritize? Let's think about it. A $1,000 long-term investment or a brand new iPhone? A $1,000 long-term investment, oh, that's too much money. A new iPhone, oh, I want that. What about $100 worth of healthy groceries rather than going out? Are you, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't have the money for that. But let's go out for $100 at the restaurant and let's have a good meal. We talk about three hours watching a movie. You sign me up. 15 minutes reading my Bible. God, I just don't have time. Can I tell you today what you prioritize? You must make and a priority in your life. Time has to take out somewhere and be placed someplace else. Your impact on your family by prioritizing your family. Can, can you look at your family and say with integrity that you are the most important world that I'm changing? Are you living for your family in such a way to go, no, that's what I want to do? Oftentimes we step back and go, well, yeah, let's look at my spouse and go, are they doing that? No, don't look at your spouse. Don't look at your children. You look at you. What are you prioritizing? I think many times we fall for this trap in our family for more stuff. We fall for the failure of going, if I just pursue what the world has to offer. And can I tell you that there is someone knocking on your door 24 hours a day trying to appeal to you to get you off target, to get you distracted, regardless of the decision you've made. If you don't keep it a priority, you will never walk it out. What every parent needs to hear today, what every spouse needs to hear today is that you can make more money someday, but you will never replace today. You can do things someday, but today is the day. Today is the moment. Today is the day, the opportunity for you to make a difference. I think about this, that God calls us to multiply, to go out and procreate. But can I tell you, he didn't just say multiply the world and have no care for the world. He said, I want you to procreate, but I want you to take responsibility for your procreation. 
Your responsibility is to raise your kids that they would know Jesus, to prioritize them, not to look to the school system, not to look to the law, not to look at all these things, but to go, no, I am responsible for my kids and my family. Not only do we choose to prioritize, we need to choose to encourage. Encourage, to give courage to, to give heart to, to give support to, to give confidence to, to give hope to. I think of this word, encourage, and there's a a concept called relational generosity. How many have heard of the concept relational generosity? Relational generosity. Relational generosity is the virtue of giving good things to another person freely and abundantly. When you look at your life today, would you come back and say that you are a relational generous person? Are you a relational generous person? Are you giving freely to some, of, of yourself to someone else. When we think about relational generosity, it's not keeping score. Relational generosity doesn't come back and go, well, I did, so therefore you have to. This mutual relationship. No, relational generosity says, I'm going to do for you regardless of. Relational generosity is, is, is something that we see in forgiveness and love and grace and mercy and time and affection. I think many of us would love to aspire to relational generosity, but you and I oftentimes we live in relational stinginess because we keep track of and we keep score of. We go, it's my time, it's my hobby, it's my space, it's mine. Relational stinginess is going to be described as someone who's angry with family members, resentful of, unforgiving towards a bitterness towards. Proverbs chapter 11 says this, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refer, refreshes others will be refreshed. Relational generosity is what, the, 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 what Solomon is writing here. It says one person gives freely and gains even more. They're not keeping track of. They're going, no, I'm going to give. In God's economy, getting more of something doesn't happen when you take more. Getting more in God's economy happens when you give away what you have. Hear me, church. We look at our world today and we go, no, if I don't, if I don't protect myself, no one else is going to. If I, if I don't care for number one, I remember my dad always saying, Kevin, you got to care for number one. The mighty dollar and number one. In God's economy, Jesus said, if you don't deny yourself, if you don't take up your cross, if you don't put aside all of those things, if you don't follow me, you've got your ladder against the wrong wall. Many of us today are in a relational encouragement deficit in our lives. Can I tell you this, that it's not the encouragement consumers, but the encouragement cultivators that are actually those who are filled. Those consumers that just come in and go, oh, I need your relationship, I need you to pour into me, I need, I need, I need, I need, rather than the people that come and go, no, I'm going to give and I'm going to give and I'm going to give. Why? Because many times you and I on this planet, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our homes, with our children, whether it's in relationship, we're looking to the other person to give us something that they cannot give us. 
The only way that you can be someone who lives filled is going to the one who knows you to fill you. To go into a situation to go, no, I'm filled, so therefore I don't have to worry about conserving. God, as I give, you're going to pour back into me. No matter how good or bad life may be going, words of encouragement are always the best way to love somebody. They are the, always the best way to love somebody. You step back and go, well, you know, I, my kids just frustrate me. I can't encourage them. Can I tell you, when's the last, let me ask you this. When's the last time you just said to your child, I am so proud of you? Not just blatantly, but I'm proud of you for When's the last time you just took them out and spent time with them? When's the last time you just sat down and talked to them? When's the last time that you asked them questions? When's the last time that you let them speak into your life? Spouses? When's the last time you talked with your spouse, not out your spouse? Can I tell you the difference between talking at somebody and talking with somebody is this thing called conversation where there's feedback? When's the last time that you affirmed them? When's the last time that you basically said, I appreciate you for? When's the last time that you prioritized them? Again, you have a spouse for a lifetime, you have a child for a season. Third point, choose to sacrifice. Don't sacrifice them, sacrifice for them. If you're a parent today, if you're a spouse today, there's been times you want to go, God, I am going to sacrifice this person. I'm glad you're laughing because it's not us that's the only ones that have wanted to sacrifice one another. This word sacrifice to surrender or give up something for the sake of something else. Everyone say give up. Can I tell you, it's hard to sacrifice. How many struggle sacrificing? Be honest, how many struggle sacrificing? When it comes to us, we want it. When it comes to sacrificing for someone else, we have to really consider, are we going to do that? Sacrificing for our spouse or sacrificing for our children or sacrificing our freedom as unto God, sacrificing our relationship. This battle in Matthew is Jesus is coming, that if you want to be my disciple, he's going, are you willing to sacrifice this for this? Sacrifice the way of the world for my way. If you want to be famous in my kingdom, you want to be famous to me, you want to be famous in heaven, you got to do it my way. And if you do it, you're going to gain your soul. You don't do it, you're going to lose everything. Today, you drove here in a car, hopefully. Maybe you rode a bike. But those of you who drove today here in a car, you sacrificed fuel to get here today. It cost you something to drive here today. And I want to say to you today that sacrifice is the fuel that propels you forward. I'm convinced that there are those in this room that that you're lacking forward motion in your life. And it comes back to an unwillingness to sacrifice for that forward motion. 
If we honestly step back and look at our lives today and go, no, I I want to be this, are you willing to sacrifice to get to this? When you look at your life, are you happy? Are you content? Are you happy with your health? Are you happy with your relationships? It's going to take sacrifice somewhere to get to the next level. My dad would always say, if you're climbing the tree and you keep falling out, you need to figure a new way to climb the tree. Can I tell you that many of us are continuing to climb the tree in relationships and in our homes and in our lives the same way without making a sacrifice to make it any different? You say you want to know God. It demands time and effort. It demands that you read the Bible. It means that you study the Bible. It means that you memorize the Bible. It means that you pray, that you seek God. Can I tell you that, yes, you can come to church and you can be encouraged, but Church, if this is all you're getting, you will never grow. That's not what church is for. The church says, come together, encourage one another, keep the doctrine clear, keep the doctrine straight, keep the goal that we're reaching towards towards something different. You're responsible for your growth. You're responsible for your maturity. You want to become a better leader? Then Begin to practice and read and listen and understand. If you want to become, get better in a relationship, you have to sacrifice, you have to invest, you have to actually give some relational generosity away. You want your home life to get better? What are you going to sacrifice for it? You want your children to know God? You have to sacrifice to make Him known to them. You want your kids to serve God? You have to sacrifice and serve yourself so they see you serving and honoring God. You want your kids to give to God? You have to lead them by giving to God. If you don't sacrifice for what you want, what you sacrifice, what you sacrifice for is what becomes what you want. Mess that statement up. I want you to hear it though. If you if you don't sacrifice for what you want, what you sacrifice for is what becomes what you want. If you're not satisfied with how you're spending your time and you just continue to sacrifice for how you're spending your time, sacrifice the goal for just staying the same, you will never become different. True love looks like sacrifice. John chapter 15 says this, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for And he says, for my friends. And I say, are you willing to sacrifice your life for your family? Are you willing to sacrifice your life for the kingdom of God? What are you trying to receive? What are you trying to get? What are you trying to go? You've got to come to the place of going, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm sacrificing this, so I'm going to, instead I want to sacrifice this to get this. Lastly, you have to choose to persevere. Choose to persevere. As I look across our culture today, as I look across America today, can I tell you that probably one, one of the sorrowful traits that I see that is so evident in our culture is a lack of perseverance. A lack of perseverance. Life gets hard and we quit. Life gets hard and we change jobs. Life gets hard and we change churches. Life gets hard and we change marriages. Life gets hard and we can't change our children. 
But can I tell you what's happening is we're just abandoning. We're leaving responsibility. We're not sacrificing. We're not persevering through with the sacrifice. This word perseverance is persistence. Everyone say persistence. Persistence in doing something despite the difficulty. Despite difficulty. Can I tell you, life is hard. How many have discovered life is hard? How many had a hard week this week? Life is filled with hardship. And you can either quit, and you can change, and you can move, you can do whatever you want, but life is always going to be hard. Until you persevere, until you endure. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says this. Let us not become weary in doing good. Perseverance is staying faithful, doing the good day after day after day after day. Staying, being good says I'm going to love my children today and tomorrow. And I'm going to love my children not even just this moment, but next moment because they're driving me crazy. Persevering. Enduring. Let us not become weary in doing good, for in the proper time we will reap a harvest. Don't give up. Perseverance says don't quit. Don't don't quit. Persistence is doing something you don't want to do, but you do it in spite of because you love who you're doing it for. Can I tell you, when you come back and I think about, there's been moments that Rhonda's probably wanted to quit on me, and I can tell you there's been moments I've wanted to quit on her. And if my love for her didn't hold me, my love for him held me. My love to honor and to please God, to go, no, this was a covenant that 36 years ago I said I do, not just to her, but to him. And some of you in this room are, were witnesses at that wedding. To go, I said, I do. And today, we've got to come to a place that we're persevering. I want to challenge you. Stop. Stop. Stop being a coward. Culture, stop being a coward. Culture, stop running. Stop living self-absorbed. Would you begin to fight for what is right? Can I tell you, if we don't stop and go, no, we're going to fight for this. If we just keep running away from all of it, we're not making a difference. You're not making a difference in your home, and you're definitely not going to make a difference in our culture. I want to tell you that difficulties are going to come, but are you going to outlast them? Are you going to outlast it? I read an article this week by Kerry Newhoff. He says, the devil is all about causing division and backbiting. The devil is all about offense and bitterness. You must persevere in spite of difficulty. The enemy isn't intimidated by, by uh, the, the, the paycheck that you bring home. And I'm going to add to this. The devil's not intimidated by the size of your house. The devil is not intimidated by the kind of car you drive. The devil's not intimidated by how you dress or how you look. But can I tell you this? He is intimidated by a home that's united under God. He is intimidated by a church that comes and says, no, we're going to walk in unity. 
Satan's intimidated by a home that's filled with forgiveness. Satan is intimidated by a home that's, that's consumed to pursue God and to find reconciliation. Satan is intimidated by a home that's determined and persevering to walk in love with one another. Be famous to your family. Be famous to your family. Philippians chapter 2. Best way to sum this up is this. In your home, in your relationships, Paul says. In your relationships with one another. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his advantage, but he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of, his, of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. Pastor Kevin, how does this even apply to marriage? Can I tell you, having the attitude of Christ is going into the marriage, going into your home, going into your children, going into relationship and going, I am here to humble myself before God and before you. I'm going to walk in faithfulness. I'm going to walk in obedience. He didn't come. Jesus didn't come with a heavy hand to go, I am the son of God. He came and said, I am broken and I'm going to make a sacrifice. Godly families don't happen by accident. Godly families are built on godly men and godly women. Godly men and godly women who are willing to do the hard work and to pursue the sometimes painful process of life, of family. Every single day you're building something. You're building not just a family, but you're building a future. You're building the very foundation of hearts and lives that will one day build the same foundation for a future generation to come. And you may be weary and well-doing. You may be going, why am I doing this? It's not working. I want you to not just look for today. I want you to look for the future. I want you to realize that on, on, on the horizon is an opportunity that you're investing for. When you look at your relationship with your wife, how do you want it to be different a year from now? When you look at your relationship with your husband, how do you want it to be different a year from now? When you look at your children, what things would you like to see in their lives and character traits that you want to see happen in the next year or 10 years? What are you currently doing to help them get there? Can I tell you there are things that Ron and I, we pray for for our kids. Our kids are amazing, but we look at them and we go, they're adults. God, how are, how are we praying them into success 10 years from now? praying over my grandchildren. As I prepared this week, I began to pray over my grandchildren like I've never prayed over my grandchildren, realizing there's a heritage. There's something that I'm, I don't see it today, but it's over the horizon. And I ask you today, what are you planting for over the horizon? If you're content with today, you'll never, you'll never persevere for tomorrow. God, today I thank you for these, this, the men, the women, the moms, the dads, the husbands, the fathers, the grandparents, God, the singles. God, every person that is in this room is part of this heritage. Every person that is in this room is either choosing to or choosing not to. 
And Jesus, as you confronted us with the choice of discipleship and where our soul would end up, God, today we are confronted with a choice. Every day of our lives we're confronted with a choice, not just in relationship with you, but relationship with our families. God, today I pray, would you give us wisdom? God, would you give us the ability to prioritize? Would you give us the ability to encourage? God, would you give us the want to and ability to sacrifice? God, I pray for supernatural, spirit-endued perseverance. God, in a world that is hard, in situations that are difficult, God, would you give us endurance, perseverance, God, that we would persevere, that we would not quit. And God, today I pray over every family. God, every husband, every wife, every child. God, give us a vision for our homes. A vision for 2023. But God, a vision for 2033. A vision for, for uh, 2020, 2200. God, the generations, if you tarry, God, for the generations down the road. Give us a vision of what we are investing today is not wasted. What we are doing today to be famous to our family is not just for this moment. It's a heritage of leaving a God behind. That's what we want to be famous for. And God, we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You're here today and you need prayer. Our prayer team is coming right now to pray with you, to pray over you. Would you let them do so? I think our prayer team's there, right there. They're coming. Would you let them pray over you? God bless you. Have an amazing week. We're, we're expecting another amazing sermon next Sunday. Pastor Larry's going to be with us, helping us out in uh, another, another segment of our family, of our homes. God bless. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.